Well, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Matthew 22. If you do not have a Bible with you at the moment, please take a few moments, go grab your Bible, come on back. Uh, we are going to be referring to the Scriptures and looking into the text uh, quite often today. So it's going to be uh, very helpful for you to have your Bibles with you this morning. So quickly, go grab that if you haven't done so already. You know, for Gateway Community Church, this... This year, 2020, seems to be the year of the wedding. We have six weddings taking place this summer. It's so exciting. Each one unique, yet each wedding is dealing with the realities of COVID-19. Despite the hard decisions that these couples have to make from taking their wedding guest list from, say, roughly 200 people down to 50, each couple is realizing that despite that, their wedding is still a reason to celebrate. And it's, it really is, is regardless of the number of people that attend. The key, though, is having the right people at the wedding. Those that are closest to you, your family for sure, and, and perhaps if budgets allow, even a few friends. It's all about who's at the wedding not so much about how many people are at the wedding. You know, when weddings happen, people, they, they dress their best. Men, we, we pull out our suits and we dust it off. And, and men of all ages learn how to tie a tie unless you have that, that classic zipper tie. You know who you are. The, the, the mothers of the bride, they come and, and they buy these beautiful dresses, but not too beautiful to outshine the bride. But the mother of the bride looks, looks beautiful. We, we come out in our finest clothes, don't we? This kind of makes me remember a little bit about, about my wedding day, August 31st, 2001. That's the right date, right, dear? It was a hot, humid day in, in southern Ontario. Good times. And if you know me and if, if you know my wife, you will know that I so married up. And when I saw my wife in her wedding dress that first time, stunning, absolutely beautiful. And every day since then, she has made me a better person in every aspect of the way. And she is still stunning and she is still beautiful. She's absolutely amazing. Weddings. They are a day to celebrate, a day to remember. From the proposal, to the invitations, to the planning of the ceremony, to the honeymoon. They are all a big deal. These are milestones that we celebrate in our lives. And our text for today deals with a wedding. A feast like, like no other. The king's son is getting married. So let's read what happens. Please open up your Bibles. We hope you have one. And uh, turn to Matthew 22. And we are going to take some time this morning. We are going to read it it's in its entirety. Uh, verses 1 to 14. So you can kind of get the bigger picture of what's happening. And then we'll spend just a few moments going through in a little bit more detail to kind of highlight a few of the things uh, that are there. So let's read Matthew 22. Hear the word of the Lord for us today. Jesus spoke to them again in a parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. 
Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my table. The oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I have invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wearing wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. So far the reading of God's word today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we ask that your word will speak to us today. Lord, we pray that the words that are spoken will be true to your word. If they are not, please forgive. So thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 22, verse 1 says this, Jesus spoke to them again in a parable, saying, Who is the the them that Jesus is speaking to in this parable? And to get that answer, we need to go back a chapter into chapter 21. This is where we, we see, we read about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. He's riding on a donkey. That's the triumphal entry. He goes into the temple courts and he takes the tables and he he flips the tables over because the people were selling and buying things within the temple courts. Just can you imagine the commotion that must have taken place? Then Jesus, he leaves Jerusalem and he goes off into Bethany for the night. And he comes back the next day and he goes back to the temple and he begins to teach once again. And Matthew 21 verse 23 says that the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him and started asking him questions. And this is what they asked. They said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? And to answer this question, Jesus launches into three parables. The parable of the two sons, the parable of the tenants, and our parable for today is the parable of the wedding feasts. So who is the them? The them is the, the chief priests and the elders of the people. Jesus, he, he was talking to the religious leaders of the day, and verse 15 of, of chapter 22 even states it more clearly. It states there that it was the Pharisees who Jesus was talking to. Now, we could very quickly right now just kind of brush this parable off and say, you know what? I'm not a Pharisee. So this parable doesn't really apply much to me. But perhaps, I I dare to say that perhaps some of us can perhaps relate a little bit more to the Pharisees than we may think. 
Because you see, the Pharisees, they were a very influential religious group of the early church. They were known for their emphasis on personal piety, that they believed that, that, their, that their, their faith, their religious belief, that was the end all and be all. They were a little bit stuck up. They accepted that, that oral tradition was as valued and as important as the written law, and they believed that all of the 600 laws in the Torah were to be followed by the Jews. They believed that they were superior to others. Tradition was ranked as high as Scripture, and you must follow the rules. Man, was it all about the rules for these folks? The Pharisees, get this, the Pharisees even judged Jesus for falling short of the standard of holiness. They majored on the minor issues and they completely neglected the major issues and concerns of the faith. This is who Jesus was talking to. The religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees who believed they had this religious thing, all figured out and were insistent that their way of thinking was the only possible way. And Jesus, the Messiah, was right in front of them, face to face, and yet they could not see him for who he really was. Rules, tradition, and pride all prevented them from seeing the Messiah that they needed. So as you can see, perhaps, in some ways, we are not a whole lot different than the Pharisees. And that's, that's what makes this parable so relevant for you and for me today. You know, one of the main things that we can take out of this parable is this. The parable of the wedding banquet is one of persistent invitation. And that's what makes this parable so filled with the hope that we can find in Jesus Christ. The wedding banquet is like no other. It, it, is, it involves a, a snobby and rude guest list, murder, destruction, wedding garments, a ragtag group of people, and even a wedding crasher. And yet, in the midst of all of this is woven the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And through these characters, our Lord says, the kingdom of heaven is like... Not the kingdom of heaven to come when we die, but the kingdom of heaven here on earth, right now, today. This parable talks about the reality of heaven on earth for you and for me, for those that follow Jesus Christ and for those that do not. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is not a futuristic parable. This is for the here and the now. It is for you. It is for me today. So take a look at Matthew 22, verse 2. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those that have been invited. You know, it is customary in, in biblical times to send out a double invitation to a wedding. Two invitations. The first invitation is similar to what we do with our weddings today. We send out invitations to those that, that we would like to invite to come and, and celebrate the occasion with us. The invitation shares the wedding date and time and, and location, all the information that you and I would need to determine whether or not we can make it that night. 
You know, it, it's quite an honor to receive a wedding invitation because it tells us our standing that we have with the wedding couple. If we're important to them or if they value us, we get an invite to come and celebrate. And then you need to RSVP. You need to let the couple know that you're coming. And that's important. It really is. Because it tells the couple uh, how many tables they got to put out, how many chairs they got to put, how many meals they need to buy to serve you as their guest, and so forth. All, all very important stuff. You do not just show up at a wedding without telling them that you are coming. Have you ever had it? Perhaps when, when you know a couple is getting married and you thought that you were a little bit closer to the couple than what you were and, and you're kind of waiting for that invitation to come in the mail and it never shows up? Or how about the other way that, that you know of a couple getting married and you don't really know them that well and yet there it is in the mail, a wedding invitation to attend their wedding. You know, these, these things, these, these invitations are so important because it shares with you who you are in your standing with the couple getting married. In our parable, the invitation already went out. The people received the invitation and they have already RRSVP'd and they said they are coming to the banquet. They said, yes, we are in. We are coming to the party put on by the king and his son. You can count on me. I'll be there. It all sounds good so far, but if you have your Bibles open, take a look at verse 3, and let's see what happens at the second invitation. He sent out his servants to those who, who already had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. The day of the feast came. The guests knew the day. The king sends out his servants again to the, the invited guests, come, the feast is ready. Come on over and let's begin the party. Would you say no to such an invitation? Would you? Well, the king's guests did. The scripture tells us that they refused to come. These people, they knew the king and his son. They had a relationship with the king and the son. Otherwise, they wouldn't have received the invitation in the first place. These guests, they knew the king, but they did not value the king. They are the people that seem to be the closest to the king, thus getting the invitation to celebrate the wedding of a son. They accepted the first invitation. They sent back the RSVP. They liked being in the inner circle with the king, but when it came time to celebrate and be in true fellowship with the king, they refused to come. Other things seemed to be more important to them. For our guests... The king's relationship was good in name only. In name only. But listen to the persistence of the king. The invited guests all said no to the king, and yet the king, he tries again. The king, the father of the son, tries to reach out to them again. He now shares in more detail the extravagant preparations that have been made for the wedding feast. Listen to verse 4 to 7. Here's what it says. Then he sent some more servants and said, 
Tell those who have been uninvited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened calf, cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the bank, wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. The king's servants, they went out again. Tell the invited guests to come. The calf has been killed, and it is mm, barbecued to perfection. The table is ready. Come, friends, come to the wedding banquet. It is prepared for you. Come and be in fellowship with the king. What an invitation. Would you come? Or would you refuse to have dinner with the king? Well, many people did. And as the servants were inviting the guests, get this, they paid no attention and they came up with a whole bunch of lame excuses as to why they could not come. Can't come. The business needs me. Can't come. Need to go out into the field. Can't come. You fill in the blanks. All ways to get out of being at the king's party. They just couldn't be bothered to make the effort. They couldn't be bothered to change their routine for the king and his son. The banquet is prepared, but the excuses outweighed their desire to attend. And the king's response is outrage. The feast was ready. The king and the son, they did everything. There was nothing that the guests had to do but to show up to the party, and all they could do was come up with lame excuses. The people had said yes to the invitation. They responded, yes, we accept. And then when the reality of actually living into the invitation, not just with words, but with action, they resorted to murder. Their commitment meant nothing to them, but it meant everything to the king. The king laid out his best for his people, and all they could do was give lame excuses and not show up. The busyness of life is an excuse to ignore our relationship with the king's family, and the consequences are eternal. It's so easy to say that we have been invited to the party of our king, to look like we truly know the king and his son on the outside. But on the inside, our hearts are hard. Now verses 8 to 14. Remember, this is the third invitation that the king sends out to the guests to the banquet. What persistence! What a persistent invitation from the king. The other servants, they were denied, they were killed, they were beaten, they were murdered. But once again, the king says, go and invite the guests. So much we can learn from this persistence in our own personal evangelism, can't we? How persistent are we in inviting others to the banquet of Jesus Christ? The gospel, it's for everyone. The invitation to the banquet is for everyone. Now, we'll leave that for another sermon. That's for a different time. But remember who Jesus is talking to when he shared this parable? 
He's talking to the Pharisees, those that believed it was by the rules and regulations. These were the religious elite of the society, and they believed through their rules and through their regulations, through their piety. That's how they were going to get to heaven. And Jesus just blasted them and said, there needs to be more than just rules and regulations. It needs to be more than just knowing Jesus by name. James 2 verse 19 says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe this and they shudder. Jesus is telling the Pharisees, this is not That is not what it's all about. It's not about the rules. It's not about regulations. Jesus could not make it any more clear than what he is trying to do through these parables. And as a result, they are starting to understand what Jesus was saying to them and about them in these parables. And with their slight comprehension of the meaning of this parable's it really did not give them a change of heart. It did not change their values. It did not change their belief system. It did not change their relationship with the Father and His Son. In fact, it did just the opposite. It made them angry. Verse 15 says that after they heard this, they, the Pharisees, went out and laid plans to trap Him in His words. Take a look for a moment at verse 9. For the Pharisees, this verse shattered their religious way of thinking. Jesus was rebuking them parable after parable after parable, and then boom, he hits them square in the face with this verse. As Pastor Justin would say, circle, highlight, and underline this verse. Here's what it says. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone, anyone you can find. The gospel was not just for the Jews. It was also for the Gentiles. Jesus just told the stubborn Pharisees that they lost their place at the royal buffet and their seat is now going to this this motley group of people. A motley crew is a diverse and, and, and poorly organized group. Scripture tells us that these newly invited guests, they were a mix of, of good people and the bad people. You? You who think you are the elite of the religious society, you have been replaced with a bunch of misfits. The people wandering the streets. And as soon as the Pharisees realized what Jesus was saying, Their anger, it intensified. Their tension there was thick. Jesus just shattered their thinking and said to them that anyone can come to the table. The gospel is for everyone. And the servants did precisely what Jesus told them to do. Go. Go and tell everyone to come to my banquet feast and enjoy a meal that would truly satisfy. And they came. The wedding banquet was filled to capacity. The guests did not delay. There is no mention of them needing to go to the business first. There is no mention of them needing to go to the field first. They dropped what they were doing. They understood the significance of the invitation and they came just as they were. 
And here's what I find interesting. Verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing his wedding clothes. Isn't that an interesting verse? Have you ever wondered where the guests got their wedding clothes from? Because there's no mention in the scripture that they went home first. There's no mention that they went out and changed or or bought some, some clothes. All it says is that they were invited and they came as they were. Well, in the time of Jesus, in the, in the culture and time of Jesus, it was customary for the host of the wedding banquet to provide garments for the guests. Once you have accepted the invitation to come, there was an expectation for you to change into the king's outfit that he provided for you. A change was required. The old clothes that you were wearing had to go and you needed to put on the new clothes that he gave you. What a beautiful picture of coming to faith in Christ, isn't it? For the, if anyone is in Christ, the old has gone and the new has come. When we come into relationship, when we come into intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ, we are changed. We are renewed through the working of the Holy Spirit. We cannot stay the way we were. A change is required in you, and a change is required in me. For everyone is welcome to the table of the king, but be prepared for the table to change us. This is not something we can do on our own. We can't change into the wedding clothes without the invitation of the king. He is the one who provides the new clothes. This is all about what the king and the son do for you and for me. It's not about what the guests have done. But here's some interesting things about changing clothes. Number one, changing into our new clothes needs to be intentional. It needs to be intentional. You need to decide if you are going to change or not. You know, when I'm finished working in, my, in the garden at my house, my, my legs and my knees, everything has mud on it. And if I'm then going to take my wife out for dinner, I need to change my clothes. And you know what? That doesn't just happen, does it? No matter how long I stare at those clothes, they are not magically going to appear on me. I have to decide to put them on. That is a mind process there that that takes place. I have to intentionally pick up the new clothes and change. That's step number one. Friends, you have been invited to the banquet and the wedding garments of our Lord's righteousness is there waiting for you. Romans 10, 13 says this. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you intentionally called on the name of the Lord? For you know he has extended his invitation to you. Changing into our new clothes needs to be intentional. Number two, you need to be an active participant an active participant in the change. If you intentionally decide to put on the new clothes, it doesn't just stop there. You need to to actively participate 
in the clothes that you are putting on. You need to zip up your zipper. You need to button up your shirt. These things don't just happen. These things will not happen on their own. You need to actively participate and be involved in putting on the new clothes. You need to come to grips with your human, sinful humanity. You need to be willing to make the change in your life that reflects your new attire, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This means that you need to put away, you need to put aside the sinful desires of the world. Listen to Romans 13, 13. Here's what it says. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing or drunkardness, not in sexual immorality or debauchery, not in dissension or jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. You need to be an active participant. Number three, you will want to show off the new clothes. You will want to show others, won't you? Just imagine buying a brand new dress, say $200. I don't know if you can get a new dress, a nice new dress for that. But say you buy a brand new, a beautiful dress, and all you want to do is jump around the house and dance and twirl in the house with your new dress. Doesn't that seem a little silly? It does, doesn't it? When you put on your new dress, you want to go out and you want to show it off. You want people to see you in your beautiful dress. Men, what about if you buy a brand new car, your dream car, and you finally have it? What are you going to do? Just stick it in the garage for no one to see? Sounds silly, doesn't it? No, you are going to put down the top. You are going to crank the tunes. You are going to drive down South Fraser Way because you want people to see your brand new car. These things are not really a, a private matter. You want to share these exciting things. When you take on the new clothes of righteousness, it's no different. There should be this, 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 this desire, this stirring within your soul that wants you to show off the new clothes that you and I have in Christ. This is not a private matter. How silly for us to think that it would be. When we intentionally put on the new clothes of Jesus Christ, when we participate in putting on the robes of righteousness of our King, we are putting on love and joy and peace. We put on patience and kindness and goodness. We, we clothe ourselves with faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit. And if you are wearing the new clothes given to you by Christ, the fruit of the Spirit should be, you know, it must be evident to all in your life, to all people. And here, here is my last and final interesting thing about new clothes. It says, you cannot wear two sets of clothing at the same time. You cannot wear two sets of clothing at the same time. It'll either be one or the other, isn't it? If, if you're going to put on this, this beautiful suit, you can't have your rags underneath. It just doesn't work. Or if you're going to put on a beautiful dress, you're not going to put your ragged clothes over top. It just doesn't work that way. You and I need to take the responsibility and live into the clothes that you and I have been given by Jesus Christ. Look again at verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing 
his wedding clothes. This, this guy here, he is your, your typical wedding crasher. He came, but he did not want to accept the responsibility or the work to change into the clothes that was given to him by the king. He wanted to stay in his old clothes all the while enjoying the benefits of the party. A person cannot have it both ways. You can't have your wedding cake and eat it too. It just doesn't work. Our wedding crasher wants the best of both worlds. He wants to stay in his own clothes all the while thinking that he is going to pass as a guest of the king. But when he comes face to face with the king, all is revealed. But the other guests, did you notice? They did not notice that he wasn't wearing his royal garments. No other guest pointed it out to him and say, hey, Joe, there's something wrong here. They just assumed that the wedding crasher was part of the banquet feast until the king arrived. Then his true colors were revealed for all to see. And when the king asked, how did you get to this party? The wedding crasher, with, with, I'm surprised at this, the wedding crasher was silent. He was speechless. He could, he, he could have come up with a whole lot of excuses, but he was caught red-handed as a fake when he came face to face with the king. And at that point, it's too late. There's no need to come up with lame excuses. There is no need to try and, and weasel your way out of it. For from a human worldly perspective, the wedding crasher did what the world does best. Fake it till you make it. But from a heavenly perspective, he fell short and did not fully accept all, all that was offered to him by the king and his son. And this is where the parable gets tough. Because the outcome for the wedding crasher, it's not good. At this point, there is no time for second chances. He was bound and he was kicked out of the banquet where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He put on a show. Perhaps he convinced himself and, and perhaps he even convinced others. But when he came face to face with the king, it was revealed that his heart was not 100% in. It was partial, if at all. Friends, is this you? Do you relate to the wedding crasher? Or do you wear the royal garments of our Lord? This is a question we all need to answer. It's one that you will have to answer, and it's one that I will have to answer. Will you come to the table? Will you receive the persistent invitation of our Lord? The banquet feast. It is prepared for you. It is prepared for me. Will you put on the royal garments? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have done everything that the banquet is ready for us to attend. 
Father, please stir in us through the working of your Holy Spirit a desire to attend, a desire to say yes, a desire to to actively respond to the invitation to come so that when we arrive, we will look forward to putting on the wedding garments and to sit at the table of the king. God, may this be our heart. Father, for those today that are hearing this for the first time, who want to come to the table, who have to make that decision, Father, we pray for them this morning. Father, thank you for them. And Father, allow us as a church to reach out to them and to surround them and to show them that following Jesus Christ is a joy. Father, thank you for this parable. Thank you for the hidden messages that are there. In Jesus' name, amen.